One lesson is that we need to plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Another is stay fit. When, you, when you're 600 years old, someone might ask you to do something really big. Also, don't listen to critics. Do what you have to do. And for safety's sake, travel in pairs. Now, I don't believe that was the reason why the Lord had pairs, but uh, anyway, that's a good idea. And also, speed isn't always an advantage. There was a cheetah and a snail, and neither one could go very far on the ark. Another was, if you can't fight or flee, float. But we learned that the Christian has to fight in a spiritual sense, and he has to flee certain temptations. Well, tonight, let's move on. Maybe the best place to start is with this lesson. Don't forget, we're all in the same boat. Noah was told to get on the ark with all the animals and his family. In the second month, on the 10th day, when Noah was 600 years old. They waited seven days, and then the Lord started the flood. And then the flood lasted for over a year. In fact, from the day they got on the ark until they descended from the ark was one year and 17 days. That is a long time to be cooped up in an ark. But I would imagine, and I don't know, that they might have been very busy. I don't know if the Lord made these animals sort of uh, dormant or hibernate so that they didn't move about uh, and just sort of slept during that year. I don't know how that would work. But if they didn't, they had to be fed and watered and cleaned up. And uh, so they didn't have time just to sit around and play a game of Monopoly waiting that year to pass by. Don't forget we're all in the same ark. We're all in the same family. We need the same care, one for another. There are a number of passages that bring this out. For example, Jesus said, A new commandment give I unto thee. This is John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment, that ye love one another, even as I have loved thee. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Surely Noah and his wife, his three sons and three daughters-in-laws, Living together for a year so close up needed that love. First Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, And above all things, being fervent in your love among yourselves. Then he talks about hospitality. You need to show hospitality one to another without murmuring. And he also mentioned in that place about the love covered a multitude of sins. In other words, if we have love one for another, we will overlook one another's faults. They were in the same family, and so they had the same care, and we should have the same care one for another. We turn over to Philippians 2, 1 through 5. And the church in Philippi seemed to be a very good church, but they did seem to have one problem. There were two sisters who uh, Paul exhorts to be able to 
to get along, Yodia, and I think the other was Syndicate. If I can separate these pages. Wherefore, beginning at verse 1 in chapter 4, Wherefore, my brethren, be loved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. I exhort Euodia and I exhort Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yea, I beseech thee, true yoke fellow, help these women. For they labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. This is good exhortation for, for Christians to follow. In chapter 2, he says uh, that we ought to follow the example of Jesus. If there is, therefore, any exhortation in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tender mercies and compassions, make full my joy that ye be of the same mind, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, doing nothing through faction or through vainglory, but in your lowliness of mind, each counting each other better than himself. Not looking each of you to his own things, but each of you also to the things of others. That's a good exhortation. It's been said, remember that the, the woodpeckers inside are often a bigger threat than the storm on the outside. Historians tell us that the Roman Empire fell after hundreds of years of ruling the universe of their, their day. That it fell because of corruption on the inside rather than superior foes on the outside. They just became so weak. Well, the church, I guess, could do that, and that's why we have a number of exhortations about how we ought to treat one another, be considerate and kind toward one another. And if you'll bear with me, let me read from Romans 12 some of these exhortations. I'll start with verses 3, 4, and 5. For I say to the grace that was given me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but so to think as to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to each man a measure of faith. And also, uh, for even as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and severally, that is individually, members one of another. Then let me go down to verses 9, read away. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. In love of the brethren, be tenderly affectioned one to another. In honor, preferring one another. 
In diligence, not slothful, lazy, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, communicating to the necessities of the saints, and given hospitality. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Set not your mind on high things, but condescend to things that are lowly. Be not wise in your in your own conceits, render to no man evil for evil. Take thought for things honorable in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, as much as in you lieth, be at peace with all men. And there are other good exhortations. Uh, and I'm not going to read these others, but they're all good. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 23-32, Colossians 3, 12-15. We're all in the same family. And we want to go by that which the Bible teaches. Let me mention something else now. Another lesson. Remember that the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic by professionals. It was on April the 14th and 15th of 1912, and I guess I give the two dates because it took two and a half hours for the Titanic to go down after it hit the iceberg. So maybe that was like 10.30, well, two and a half hours, take it into the next day after midnight. There were 2,200 passengers on the Titanic, 2,200. But there were only 705 who survived, about a third. And they only had lifeboats for about a third. Well, they thought the Titanic was unsinkable. I guess they weren't thinking about an iceberg. And so they only had room for a third of the passengers, and about 1,500 of them perished. But when it came to the ark, Noah was on God's side. The difference was God. It was God's pattern. God said, Noah, build the ark like this. You did it. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. It was God's pattern, and it was God's flood. God was in control. God made the difference. But like Noah, we need to trust in God. When we turn over to Hebrews 11 and verse 7, let me read uh, about Noah's faith. We read that by faith, Noah, being warned of God, if I've got the right page, concerning things not seen as yet, being warned. By faith, Noah, being warned concerning things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, to which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Abraham, uh, Noah was a man of faith. All of these people that are mentioned here in Hebrews 11, by faith they did this and by faith they did that. 
Their faith was active. It wasn't vain. It wasn't dead. And so Noah built an ark. It took him 120 years. But he believed that God would keep his promise, and he did. And he saved the people. An heir of righteousness means that he was going to, because he was pronounced righteous by God, live in heaven. He was an heir. It's like 2 Timothy 4 and 8, after Paul said, I have, I have fought the good fight, I've uh, finished the course, I've kept the faith, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, hath promised unto me in that day, and not to me only but unto all them that have loved his appearing. That is, who are looking forward to the Lord's return. So, an heir of righteousness and the crown of righteousness is the same idea. Also in 1 Peter 5, let me read this, because this is addressed especially to the elders. And it has a, a promise for those who would do their duty. First verse shows that Peter is addressing himself to elders as a fellow elder. The elders, therefore, among you I exhort, who am a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, who am also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Peter's anticipating that same glory that Paul spoke of. Now in verse 4, it's addressed to the elders. But when the chief shepherd shall be manifested, that is, when Jesus comes again, Ye shall receive the crown of glory that fadeth not away. So here's another promise that we have from the Lord. Believe in and trust God. How about Romans 8.28? We know that to them who love God, all things work together for good. We all believe and love God. Then his promise is that for those who love him, all things will work together for good. Now, there may have been things in your life that you wonder about. Well, now, what good came from that? And maybe we won't know in this life. Maybe I have to look some more. I can see things that have happened in my life, and I can see good that's come from it. It wouldn't have been my choice. Hmm. But then the Lord whom Noah trusted and we should trust, knows what's good. To them who love God, all things, without exception, work together for good. Well, let me uh, go to one more lesson. And that is, don't miss the boat. Well, Noah and his family didn't. They're the only ones who didn't. Don't miss the boat. Of course, we're thinking about the boat that goes to heaven. Uh, it won't be on a boat, but don't we often think about the River Jordan as death? And what's on the other side? Well, the Israelites are going to the promised land. And what is heaven? Well, heaven is the promised land. And how do you get across the Jordan? Well, the children of Israel, uh, when Joshua was leading them, God just opened the river for them. They walked over on dry land. But we go to heaven, we're not going to get in a, a boat and go there. We think about Lazarus. No boat, but he had angels to escort him. Jesus is telling us in Luke 16, 
that Lazarus, he was, he was a child of God. And when he died, the angels escorted his soul to paradise. And there he was in the bosom of Abraham. The rich man lost out. He didn't do God's will and he was lost. There are many people who, uh, who plan to get ready to go to heaven. Don't miss the boat. Well, they're putting off that. I, I, I can only imagine that there are a lot and a lot of people like this. I mean, they're good people. And they realize that there is a heaven, they want to go to heaven, but they're not quite ready. And so they keep putting it off. They plan to get ready. What's this expression that the road to hell is paved with good intentions? They intended to do this, they intended to do that, and that would have been all good if they would just done it. They intend to get ready to go to heaven, obey the gospel, serve God, but they just kept putting it off till it was too late. What about King Agrippa, Acts 26 and 28? He was hearing Paul preach as a prisoner in Caesarea, and Agrippa said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. We sing the song, and I think this illustrates what I mentioned earlier about the Jordan. We want to cross over the Jordan to the promised land, like the Israelites, and we sing this quite often. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand, I believe that's the name of the, the song, and cast a wishful eye, I'm looking toward heaven, to Canaan's fair and happy land, where my possessions lie. Remember Jesus said, Lay not up your treasures on the earth, where moth and rust consume, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that's what the song is referring to. It's in heaven where my possessions lie. All that I've earned, accumulated here on this earth, I'm leaving here. But those things that I've laid up in store in heaven, they're waiting for me up there. The chorus, we will rest in the fair and happy land by and by, just across on the evergreen shore, on the other side, sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by, and dwell with Jesus evermore. That's a beautiful thought in it. That's what heaven's about. The next verse, filled with delight, my raptured soul would here no longer stay. Lee was asking the other day about uh, the raptured soul, and my dictionary says uh, it's an experience of being carried away by overwhelming emotion. And we're thinking about going into heaven, and we're near, and we're ready to cross over. We're going to have an, a raptured soul filled with delight. My raptured soul would here no longer stay. The Jordan's ways around me roll. Sometimes death can be a very turbulent. I would. Personally, if I had a choice, I want to just die in my sleep. I mean, that'd be the easy way out. And some folks do. A uh, young lady that um, went to school with lives back in Oklahoma. And she went to, on a trip with the group. She uh, wasn't married. And uh, I think they were up in Canada, somewhere way up there. And she went to bed and went to die. In her sleep. Well, 
Though Jordan's ways around me rolled, fearless I'd launch away. I wanted to look at this uh, idea about the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by. When we turn over to Revelation 15, 3 and 4, we, we know what the song's all about there. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Let me read uh, those verses. Revelation 15, 3 and 4. But I might start with verse 2 because that sort of gives us a setting. And I saw it as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. And then they came off victorious from the beast and from his image and from the number of his name standing by the sea of glass having harps of God. Uh, having harps of God. Yeah. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are thy ways, thou King of the ages. Who shall not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all the nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been made manifest. The scene is those who have come off of this life. This is back, I think, in the first century. It's talking about the things that would soon come to pass. That's my understanding of Revelation. And so here are those who were faithful to God. Many of them perhaps were persecuted and died martyrs' death. But they would not give in to the beast. They would not take the mark on the forehead. They would not do any of these other things. And so when they went to heaven, when they died, they went to heaven and were victorious. And so it says they were singing what? The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Well, the song of Moses is sung by victorious warriors who had overcome in the conflict that set forth in verse 2 that we just looked at. The song is one of victory and it's one of praise to Jehovah and the Lamb and the Lamb is the one who gives the victory. We think about the song of Moses originally was when Moses sang with the children of Israel after they had crossed the Red Sea praising God for their deliverance from the Egyptians. Well, and that's in Exodus chapter 15. As God's servant, Moses, delivered his people from an oppressive nation, Egypt, so God's son, the Lamb, redeemed a people from spiritual bondage. One more point. One, that is Moses, conquered and delivered from the foe of physical bondage and tyranny. The other, the Lamb, the Son of God conquered the world and death, delivering from Satan's power. And so we'll be singing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by and dwell with Jesus evermore. Jesus tells us to be prepared. In Matthew 24, when he talks about his coming, he says, we don't know when that's going to be. There will be no signs. Just be ready. So he says, therefore, be ye also ready. 
For you know not the hour or the day when the Son of Man comes. He's coming. Are you ready? Noah and his family got ready. They followed God's instructions. They got on the ark and they were spared. Everybody else was lost. They started a new life under God's direction, God's blessings. And it's going to be a new life when we leave here. We go to paradise, a life of comfort, being with the Lord, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, and then living eternally with our resurrected bodies in heaven after the day of judgment. Are you ready? Are you putting it off? Will you, you don't want to miss the boat. You want to be ready for the Lord's coming or for you're going to meet the Lord. Whichever comes first, it won't be long. We don't know when he's coming, but I know it won't be long till I'm going. <laughs> and if he comes before that, that'll even be soon. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you put Christ on in baptism? That's the invitation Jesus wants to extend to you. As we sing this song of invitation, we'll do what we can to help you get right with God. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?